This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. To succeed Justice Anthony Kennedy on the Supreme Court bench, uh, President Trump has nominated Judge Brett Kavanaugh, who has served as a judge on the Federal District of Columbia Circuit Court of Appeals for the past 12 years. His selection is expected to spark an intense struggle on Capitol Hill uh, over the next several months, and uh, many say uh, that uh, Kavanaugh is going to change the uh, political and ideological composition of the Supreme Court. Um, but is this really true? Uh, is Kavanaugh any more conservative than Justice Kennedy? And if his nomination is confirmed, where is he going to come out on education issues that are of interest to so many of you? To discuss these issues, I have with me today a distinguished jurist who served on an appeals court himself, Michael McConnell, the Richard and Francis Mallory Professor of Law at Stanford University and a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution. Michael, thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. It's a pleasure. Well, Michael, let's begin with the obvious. Is Kavanaugh really going to change the ideological composition of the Supreme Court? What's your thinking on that? Well, every new justice changes it in one way or another, sometimes in unexpected ways, but I don't think that's quite what you're asking. To, to, in a more general sort of 30,000-foot level, the first question we have to ask is, what kind of justice was Anthony Kennedy? And the notion that he was a centrist or a moderate justice is actually, I think, not accurate. Uh, he was um, not a centrist, but he was a he, he was someone who tended to vote with one side or the other. About two-thirds of the time, he was on the conservative side, and about a third of the time, including some extremely uh, high-profile cases, he was on the liberal side of the court, uh, but uh, not a moderate in, in, in either way. That is, uh, you know, he, he's a, I think of him as being, you know, the person, if you're on a sailboat, he's the person who sort of throws his weight from one side of the boat uh, to the other. In Kavanaugh, we have someone whom I think is, a, is going to be more stable, more predictable, and closer to the sort of moderate conservative uh, side of the court. I think closer to where uh, someone like Chief Justice Roberts is. And that could mean that he uh, is a stabilizing influence. And, and something I'd like to point out here, an interesting development. Uh, over the last, uh, I don't know, decade or so, uh, the four more left-leaning justices have voted as a tight block. But in the last term or two, since Justice Scalia's demise, uh, Breyer and Kagan have often split from the other two and taken a more moderate uh, position on a whole range of issues, um, often joined with, uh, with Chief Justice Roberts. So it is not impossible, I'm not necessarily predicting this, but it is quite plausible to think uh, that Kavanaugh, along with Roberts, will help provide a more stable and substantive center to the court uh, which, you know, obviously partisans like a court that decide, decide cases their way, but I think from a sort of citizen or legal uh, point of view, to have a stronger middle and a more stable, more moderate court might actually be 
uh, in everyone's interest. Well, that would be an interesting development. But uh, of course, now uh, Kavanaugh was Kennedy's law clerk, and just because you were a law clerk doesn't mean you're going to do exactly the same thing as the boss. It certainly doesn't. Do. I was Justice Brennan's law clerk, and no one has ever accused me of having yeah, this jurisprudence. Yeah, but Kennedy uh, himself told the president that for his successor, he would not object if it were Kavanaugh. So, I mean, he, isn't he sort of appointed this as to be Kennedy's replacement on the court? Well, possibly so. I gather that Kennedy said something similar about Neil Gorsuch and, in fact, took the trouble to fly out and, uh, and swear Neil Gorsuch in as the uh, as, uh, new justice. So I'm not sure how much to read into no, that. No, well, that's the other thing I wanted to ask you is... is um, is Kavanaugh more influenced by textualism and the new kind of thinking that Scalia and the Federalist Society has been working on for some years and Gorsuch represents on the court to some extent? Is that, is that the difference that you see between Kavanaugh and Kennedy? Is that uh, Kavanaugh is more going to be constrained by the text than maybe uh, Kennedy was? So I have no doubt that both of those men are more textually inclined and more historically inclined than Anthony Kennedy. Uh, Kennedy was not particularly moved by the text. I mean, some of the liberals on the court, I think, are more textualist than, uh, uh, than Anthony uh, Kennedy was. And that will be uh, a change. But within the you know, world of, you know, that's dominated by text and history, there are many gradations. And I see... Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, at least in his period on the D.C. Circuit, as more uh, more motivated by the problems of the administrative state than by issues of constitutional theory and interpretation. Now, uh, there's a lot of textualism in the administrative state area, too, but it's of a different kind. The One of the big questions for him on that court over the last 12 years has been how closely do we insist that our administrative agencies uh, confine their exercises of power to actual delegations of power by Congress in statutory language. And he has been holding them to the fire. That is to say, Congress is the institution that gets to decide, not the agencies. They don't decide the, their own scope of authority. There is another view that because of the complications of the modern world and so forth, we need to cut the agencies a great deal of slack. There is obviously some technocratic attraction to that, but a huge democratic deficit because when un un democratically unaccountable agencies also get to determine you know, what, their, what the scope of their power is, we really are not living in, under a regime where our votes count for very much. Well, now, I think Scalia was a contributor to this uh, interpretation, broad interpretation of administrative power, especially in the early part of his career on the Supreme Court and before that as a judge. Um, so do you see Kavanaugh as coming at this from a somewhat different perspective than Scalia did. Well, I do. This is really one of the ironies on, of modern Supreme Court history is that uh, Scalia was a champion of 
The term we lawyers use for this is Chevron deference. That comes from a case involving the Chevron Corporation. Uh, but it means in general that uh, the courts give deference to the agency's interpretation of the statute under which they operate, even if the courts might, you know, reading the statute in ordinary ways, think that it means uh, something else. And that the effective meaning of that is expansion of agency power, because, of course, agencies very rarely uh, are self-restrained. And uh, Scalia, I think, was part of that because of his experience in the 1980s when there was an extremely rambunctious D.C. Circuit, which tends to decide so many of these cases, and the D.C. Circuit felt free to announce what statutes meant in their own opinion and require the agencies to, uh, to comply. And that effectively meant that it was the D.C. Circuit that was running regulatory policy rather than either Congress through its statutes or the president through its appointment power. And you can see why someone like Scalia would regard that as a constitutional abomination. The Chevron Doctrine was a response to that, but in the intervening decades, the agencies have cottoned on to the fact that getting Chevron deference is like a get-out-of-jail-free card or a, or a free hall pass where they can go with it wherever they want. And so it, to, it, today it seems as though uh, the democratic deficit in the administrative state is, uh, is exacerbated by Chevron instead of uh, promoted by it. Uh, now, Neil Gorsuch is a huge critic of Chevron deference. I would predict that on this point, Brett Kavanaugh will be an ally. And that may be a slight difference from Kennedy? Uh, though, Very much so. Yeah, you think so. Uh -huh. Very much so. Yeah. But uh, it's not necessarily a left and right thing. You can either, because... You know, oh, as uh, the Scalia example uh, illustrates. Illustrates, right. right but right. people should not say, though, well, that means the court's moving to the right. That doesn't mean that at all, would it? Uh, because agencies can be run by conservatives just as they can by liberals. What it is is a return to democratic governance as opposed to technocratic well, governance. Well, those of us who work in the field of education have noticed these dear colleague letters coming out from the... Uh, sometimes the Department of Justice, sometimes from the Department of Education, sometimes combined in which they say, dear colleague, and they send it out to every school district, and they say, well, you've got to have similar suspension and expulsion rates for people of all ethnic and racial backgrounds. Otherwise, there's a r racial disparity that's unconstitutional. And various other letters like that, I mean, there's not just one, there's a lot of letters like that. Is this, is this likely to be reined in by the new court? Or is it not going to rise to a constitutional question? I would expect it would be reined in. Um, it would not surprise me were a case to get to the court in which uh, part of this, this, it's called regulatory guidance, uh, is, um, is at the fore. The court would simply say that gets no deference whatsoever uh, that is, uh, the the agency can take whatever positions it wants, but it has no uh, legal effect on regulatory parties. I think that is the correct thing uh, to say. By the way, let me emphasize that that is different from guidance or interpretation that is actually done in the form of a formal regulation, where there is notice and comment rulemaking and the adoption of a formal agency uh, position. Uh, 
that I think will continue to get uh, cons- considerable respect and, and deference, maybe not Chevron deference, but considerable uh, a deference. But these dear colleague letters are, um, you know, they, they really should not be given the, the kind of weight that they have. But and, they're and very one, powerful one recent, because they one, can say, if, if you don't do this, we're going to bring a, a, a civil rights lawsuit against you. That's and, right. And then the lawyer for the local school district says, we don't want to get ourselves in a federal case here, so we better go along with what they say. And they very well may do that. Uh, and, and the courts can't really do anything about that. What the courts can do is if the regulated party resists, uh, can say, well, the fact that the Dear Colleague letter says that has no legal effect. If the regulated party is operating on the basis of a reasonable interpretation of the statute that has not been precluded by a formal regulation, they should be in the clear as a legal matter. Well, how about affirmative action? Now, um, Kennedy was on every side of that question. I think for <laughs> in the course of his career, maybe he could sort it all out. I had always trouble figuring out what his next move was going to be. But certainly in the Fisher case, he uh, cast a, a deciding vote, which uh, has given the University of Texas a great deal of latitude uh, in uh, taking race into account and making uh, admissions decisions. Uh, is there any evidence that Kavanaugh is going to differ from Kennedy in this regard? Well, Kennedy started out as one of the strongest critics of race-based affirmative action, and then it was only fairly late in his career that he moved to a kind of incoherent, throw up his hands, we're not going to do anything about it kind of position. Uh, never a full-throated defense, just uh, you know, the Fisher case is kind of an odd compromise where they're not doing anything. We do not have any, to my knowledge, there's no direct evidence of how Brett Kavanaugh will uh, come out on those cases. Uh, the fact that he is a fairly clear mind and tends to think in legal terms rather than policy terms makes me think that he will probably want to have a more coherent position on the question than Kennedy had. So um, one of his advantages is that he is a member of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, which, although it handles a lot of regulatory cases, doesn't handle a lot of the social issues, the hot-button issues. I don't know that he's ever ruled on uh, anything approaching uh, Roe v. Wade. Um, What's your sense of where he's going to be vis-a-vis Kennedy on these things that the American public seems to pay, or at least the political parties pay a lot of attention to? Well, I do not think that Brett Kavanaugh is of a revolutionary or counter-revolutionary disposition. Um, I think he will be disinclined to refight old battles. But I also don't think that he is likely to, and I'm really talking about temperament here now, not actual evidence of Respect decision, for stare decisis, perhaps? Well, I think, I think let it alone, don't reopen old, you know, don't, don't, don't tear the scab off. Uh, uh, but I think that in terms of inserting the court unnecessarily into new social issues, I think he will be much more reluctant than Tony Kennedy I was to do that. I think Tony Kennedy had no reluctance uh, uh, to do that. My inclination is to think that Kavanaugh is going to be reluctant 
that I think he will share with Chief Justice Roberts and maybe even to some extent the more moderate liberals on the court uh, the view that the courts have taken too large a role in our social life and maybe they ought to you know, stay out and let other institutions operate and, and make decisions. Well, I, uh, what I'm hearing from you, uh, Michael, is something that's similar uh, but more richer, I must say, than uh, Daniel Henninger's uh, very interesting column in the Wall Street Journal this, uh, this past week uh, in which he says that maybe this appointment is going to calm things down in our society. We've been... Um, uh, at, at, at odds where uh, liberals and conservatives are afraid of one another and and maybe we're gonna things are gonna calm down because from now on the people are not going to think that the courts are going to be sorting out the most important issues these are going to be battled out in the legislative process um, now maybe he's too optimistic to say that but I I sort of hear some hints of that in, in what you're suggesting, too, that, that this appointment could be a calming influence in our society. I think that that's so. Uh, now, I think that there are two different types of conservative judges. There are those who uh, are principally concerned in, about uh, the overall structure, including one in which the courts are not in, intended to be major decision makers versus those who want to get everything right, including correcting past judicial errors. Um, I don't know. Nobody knows. Mrs. Kavanaugh may know. I certainly don't know. But I suspect that Brett Kavanaugh is going to be in the former category. That is, let's leave most of the past fights over but not make things worse in the future, be a calming influence into the future. And that, I think, makes him not like Tony Kennedy, who, whether he was on the conservative side or the liberal side, was uh, frequently you know, a voice for upsetting things, for calling things to, into question. I think we're not going to. I think we're, we'll see that Kavanaugh is a different kind of conservative. So does that mean it's going to be not too difficult for him to get the fifty votes that he needs, uh, plus the vice president, if sure should be a tie, uh, to be a point confirmed by the Senate? It doesn't mean that at all. Uh, the opposition doesn't care. They know nothing, and they care nothing about Brett Kavanaugh. They would oppose Santa Claus if Santa Claus are being named to the to the Supreme Court. Uh, it's for them. It's all about Trump. A lot of it's about Merrick Garland, but very little is about Brett Kavanaugh. Well, it's important for the Republicans to hang together. Will the Republicans hang together? We've got uh, a couple of senators who uh, have been. Uh, not sure votes in the past, such as Susan Collins in Maine and the uh, Alaska senator. Uh, 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 Murkowski. Rick, yeah, yeah. Uh, so you think he's moderate enough, in the middle enough, to keep the Republicans together? So I'm not a politician, and that's, you know, I have no expertise, do not know the answer to that. But I will say this, that when in Trump making this choice, Trump went out of his way uh, to pick someone who is um, 
solid, experienced, moderate, highly respected across the uh, the spectrum, at least until being nominated. And uh, if if anyone could hold all the Republicans together, it is Brett Kavanaugh. Well, thank you, uh, Michael, for joining me on the Education Exchange. I have been speaking with Professor Michael McConnell of Stanford Law School, a former federal judge on the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals. Here on the Education Exchange, I am Paul Peterson. Uh, Please join me uh, for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education Next website every Monday noon Eastern time. Thank you for joining me today.